This evening we're going to consider Abraham's seed. It follows on very much from what we were considering last week. In fact, I was getting a bit muddled up. I didn't know whether I was in last week's sermon or this week's sermon half the time. Hopefully there's not too much repetition. A little bit won't hurt anyway. Abraham's seed, Romans chapter 4. We'll read. I'm going to read from verse 13 through to 25, Romans chapter 4. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, in other words, the Jews, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification. Last week we looked at the promises of God. Specifically, we considered the promise made by God to Abraham and to his seed of great blessings. And sure enough, about 430 years after the promise was given, the natural descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, took possession of the land of promise, Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. However, we went on to see that the, that taking possession of Canaan in the Middle East was but an emblem of something far greater, infinitely greater. Abraham, who was long gone by the time that Israel entered Canaan, understood that very well. He had considered himself to be a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. For him, the promise of God was far more than entering into an earthly Canaan. He looked forward to a heavenly Canaan, whose builder 
and whose maker is God. With regards to the promise that was given by God to Abraham, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 26 through to 29, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so it was, as we saw last week, the promise given to Abraham and to his seed would eventually have its fulfilment in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and all who believe in him, all who are in him, in Christ. What that means is if Christ Jesus is your saviour, you are a spiritual descendant of Abraham, spiritual descendant, we're not talking about um, earthly descendancy here, and you are an heir according to the promise of God. Consequently, just like your spiritual father of old, Abraham, you are a stranger and a pilgrim in this world, and you are looking forward to a heavenly Canaan, a heavenly city whose builder and whose maker is God. That really ought to be each one of us in here who are in Christ, the seed of Abraham. Turning now to our passage in Romans chapter 4, looking again at verses 18 through to 22. Paul said, Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations? According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. It stands to reason that for God to make promises to Abraham and his seed, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they would need to have offspring, they would need to produce children. However, Abraham was already an old man. He had no children. In fact, he was 75 years old. And as for his wife, Sarah, she was 65 years old and barren when the promise was first given to Abraham. She couldn't have children. They were both too old. Even so, 
as can be seen in verse 3 of chapter 4, he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He didn't reason, well, I'm an old man and my wife, she's barren. He, he was given a promise, he believed. Not only did Abraham believe, according to verse 20, he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Sure enough, God was true to his promise. And when Abraham was a hundred years old and Sarah was 90, their son Isaac was born. Seems impossible, doesn't it? But there you go. God is the God of miracles and we should never limit what God can do. Let's be very clear about something and that is even though Abraham, whom Christ rejecting Jews and Muslims venerate, lived 2,000 years before Jesus came into the world, his strong faith was nevertheless in his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn to John chapter 8 and we'll see what the cedar of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, had to say on the matter of Abraham's faith. John chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 56. To the end of chapter 8. Jesus said to the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. You may remember from last week, these Jews, they made this big boast that Abraham was their father and God was their father. And Jesus, he said to them that your father is the devil and the lusts of your father you will do. In verse 56, Jesus told the unbelieving Jews that Abraham saw his day And was glad. That made no sense whatsoever to all those earthly minded Jews. After all, Jesus was in his thirties and Abraham had been dead for some 2,000 years. How do you work that one out? As far as they would have been concerned, there was no way that Abraham could have seen Jesus. It didn't make any sense to them. However, it all makes perfect sense when you understand and believe what Jesus said in verse 58. Look at verse 58 again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. 
Had Jesus said before Abraham was, I was, he would have simply been claiming to be over 2,000 years old. And maybe those Jews would have looked at him and thought, he really is crazy. They've already accused Jesus of being possessed by a devil. Have a look at verse 48 there. Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil? Can you imagine that? Accusing the incarnate son of God of being demon possessed. But they did. And not only that, they would have probably thought Jesus was crazy. Saying, if, if he'd said, before Abraham was, I was. Making himself to be so old. And they may have said, well, what's the secret of long life then, Jesus? Give us the secret. We want to know. But Jesus did not say, before Abraham was, I was. He said, before Abraham was, I am. That's not normal English, is it? We don't normally talk like that. Can you see that those two words, I am, speak of the eternality of Jesus. They speak of his divinity, that he is God, that there was never a time when he was not. Before Abraham was, I am. Over 2,000 years ago, I am. Those two little words of Jesus, I am, take us all the way back to the time when God appointed Moses to lead the Jews out of slavery in Egypt. I'd like to turn your attention to Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read to you verses 13 and 14 from Exodus chapter 3 where it is written, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers have sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. The sense is, not only I am what I am at the moment, but I am what I have been, and I am what I shall be, and shall be what I am. Past, present, future. I am. This is when God, when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Moses at the burning bush. When I am appeared to Moses. Make no mistake about it, those unbelieving Jews, they understood very clearly that by saying I am, Jesus was declaring himself to be God. I wouldn't say that's always the case in the New Testament. You'll come unstuck. If you claim that every time Jesus said, I am, he was declaring himself to be God. But clearly, in this case, he was. You've just got to look at the context. And Jesus was declaring his divinity. The trouble is, 
They just did not believe him. In fact, they were so enraged by what they considered to be the blasphemous words proceeding from the mouth of Jesus, who's possessed by a demon, so they said, that they took up stones to throw at him, as can be seen in verse 59. Look at it there, verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Also, one of the Old Testament passages that records the promise of God is Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. I think we looked at it last week. Uh, let me read that one to you. We were looking at the promises, the promise of God to Abraham in various verses um, of the Old Testament last week and we looked at this passage as well. Genesis 15 verses 5 and 6. And he, that is the word of God, or the word of the Lord, brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, count the stars if they'll be able to number them. And he said unto him, that's the word of the Lord, he said unto Abraham, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. As was pointed out to me, quite rightly, last week by Donald, after the service, the word of the Lord that brought Abraham forth spoke to him and spoke to Abraham is referred to as he and that he is the pre-incarnate son of God. We don't have to speculate about this. After all, as it is written concerning Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. The word of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that very clearly in the opening verse of John's Gospel. And it's the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took Abraham and said, look at the sky. Count the stars if you can. So shall your seed be. The Bible commentators seem to be in no doubt whatsoever that the object of Abraham's faith was was Jesus, the great I am. Just looking at a couple of the commentaries on Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, Matthew Paul said, Abraham was fully persuaded that God was able to fulfil and would certainly fulfil the promise made to him concerning a child, and especially concerning the Messiah, who should come out of his loins by that child, and that both himself and all the people should be justified and blessed in and through him, in and through the Messiah. And then there's John Gill who said, Abraham believed that the Messiah would spring from his seed. He believed in him as his saviour and redeemer. He believed in him for righteousness and he believed in his righteousness as justifying him before God. 
they've got every reason to say that those commentators, they've looked at um, verses like Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, alongside what we've just seen here in John chapter 8. And it all points to a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As well as there being a strong likelihood that it was the Son of God who spoke to Abraham when promises of great blessings for him and his seed were given in Genesis chapter 15, it is not unreasonable to say that Abraham saw Jesus at a distance by faith, as did another Old Testament man of God called Job. In the book of Job, in chapter 19, verse 25, Job who was clearly speaking about Jesus, he said, for I know that my Redeemer lives, my uh, kinsman Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. See, that Old Testament man of God, Job, he could see through the eye of faith a time when he would see Jesus, whom he refers to as God, standing on the day and uh, standing on the earth in the latter day, his redeemer, who is God. Let's have a look at. Uh, we're back in Romans chapter four now. Look at verses 23 to 25. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification. Abraham believed the promises of God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. That same righteousness of God shall be imputed to you as well if you believe in the God of Abraham, the only true God who delivered his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for all who trust in him. Jesus was betrayed or delivered It's the same word in Greek, betrayed, delivered, same word. He was betrayed by Judas Iscariot to the Jewish chief priests. They then convicted Jesus of blasphemy when he affirmed that he is the son of God and they delivered Jesus to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. He delivered Jesus to King Herod Herod then delivered Jesus back to Pilate and Pilate then delivered Jesus to his soldiers to be crucified, even though he found no fault in him. As you can see, there were many people directly involved in delivering Jesus to be crucified. Without excusing or exonerating all those wicked people, 
Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 speaks of Jesus being delivered up for crucifixion, not by those wicked men, but by God. That truth comes out very clearly in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, which records a sermon preached by the Apostle Peter to a crowd of Jews after Jesus had ascended to heaven. Peter said to that crowd, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Did you hear that? Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. The fact of the matter is that it pleased the Lord to bruise his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Jesus, the Lord have laid on Jesus your iniquity. When God delivered his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our offences, it was in accordance with his eternal plan to deliver helpless and hopeless sinners like you and me from sin, Satan and everlasting destruction. That is what people who have the righteousness of God imputed to them believe. They believe that God delivered his son to the cross to bear away their sins. Last of all, we see in verse 25 that those who have the righteousness of God imputed to them believe that Jesus was raised again for their justification. Therefore, the Christian's right standing before a holy and righteous God is is ascribed not only to his sacrificial death, but also to the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection as well. Taking nothing away from the glorious truth that Christians are redeemed through the precious blood of Christ. They do not stand before God clothed in the righteousness of a dead saviour. Far from it. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. He has ascended to heavenly glory where he sits at the right hand of God, where he makes intercession for all his redeemed. Finally, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be clothed with the garments of salvation. You will be covered with the robes of righteousness, the same robe of righteousness that um, that Abraham was clothed in, according to the promise of God. Amen.